0: Good morning, Midland Free. Everybody situated? All set? Good. Hey, my name's Jeremy. Welcome here. We're glad you're here to worship with us today. Let's uh, continue to engage God. I'm going to pray one more time. Father, we're so thankful that we can be with you this morning, that you are with us, even more important. And uh we know that you go with us even to the ends of the earth. And we pray this morning as we are not at the ends of the earth, but we are here in Midland that you're presence would be felt um, even in these moments, but that we would not leave it here, but that it would go with us um, throughout our weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Will everything be okay? Will it be okay? It's broken now. I want to fix it. It doesn't seem to make sense. There's more left to do. What shall we do? Will everything be okay? I think this is one of the main questions that we as people have to struggle with throughout life. Will it be okay? Today I want to show you three things that move us in the direction of answering that question and the book of ruth is going to help us with that as it summarizes as we summarize that story today this is the final summary for the book of ruth and then next we'll go into our advent series or what's uh, commonly traditionally called advent it's christmas it's the coming of christ the first coming we're looking forward to the second so we'll celebrate that beginning next sunday But for today, let us summarize our fall sermon series in the book of Ruth by asking the question, will everything be okay? The first major point that I want to make today is this, that as Christians, our answer to that question begins with this fundamental underlying assumption That God is good. The first thing that we as Christians say when we begin to answer that question is that God is good. Now, you may even read a verse like this this week over Thanksgiving, perhaps over your prayers or something like that. You may say Psalm 34 8 and you may read out loud this verse that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. Now note, please, that we are affirming as believers in God, as people of faith, as people that believe the Bible is true, that God is good. That's sort of our fundamental driving assumption. And we probably say that a lot, but sometimes we begin to question what that means. And here's a definition then that I think helps us. And moves us to the right place of understanding this fundamental assumption. And that is this. When we say God is good, this is what we mean. God is good means God's very nature and his essence are good. Like he is the fundamental definition of what good is. If you want to know what good is, look at God. And therefore, as a result, he always acts in accordance with his nature... Because he is good, he acts in accordance with that and consequently his attitudes, his intentions, his motivations, everything inside of him is good and as a result, everything that comes out of him, his actions are also very good. Therefore, everything he does is always right and true and just and as a result, the outcome of his actions and the outcome of his intent and the outcome of his plan is good as well. So because of who he is, goodness defined, because of his intentions, his desires, his actions, his plan, everything he does is good. And as a result, everything ends in goodness for God is good. Now there's our assumption. We start there and we say, God is good. And you say, okay, God is good. But then what inevitably happens is we come into a day with circumstances, maybe not even a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe a life in which we say, "Mm, not so sure. God is good. But everything around me is not. In fact, what I'm experiencing is not good. And preacher, you just said that everything God does is good. And when I look at this, this is not good. This is evil. This is bad. So how is it that God is good? Perhaps he's this heavenly Santa Claus who intends good for his people, but really just not powerful enough to make it happen. Either that or he is all powerful and he doesn't really care. Either way, that's not good. So how is it that God is good? Well, the book of Ruth is going to help us answer that because what happens is there's this person by the name of Naomi and she's in a very difficult spot. And the nice thing about This book is we can look at it and then say, okay, here's here's what God shows us on paper. And then how does that apply to our lives? Here's Naomi and Naomi's husband and her two sons have died. Naturally, therefore, she's wrestling with that question. In fact, she's losing. She's coming to the conclusion that God is not good because how could he be good if. My kids are dead and so is my husband and I'm on the verge of starvation and my life hangs in the balance. That doesn't look good. And so when she goes back home in verse 19, her attitude has noticeably changed. In verse 19 of chapter 1, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess, had returned and the whole town was astir because of them and the women said, is this Naomi? She doesn't even look like the Naomi we remember. We remember someone who was healthy and young and vibrant. Now she is older and worn out and stressed. And oh man, what happened? And and Naomi shows them her heart. She says to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And here's the grand inclusio of the entire book. I went away full. I came back empty. Will God ever fill me up again? I don't think so. How could he? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. she is upset. And understandably so. And we could say, oh, ye of little faith. But the reality is, this happens to us most every day. If we have a bad day, how do we feel about God? Hey, he didn't come through. He didn't help me out. What's wrong? Maybe this is his fault. Her circumstances have led her to conclude that God is not good. Because her circumstances are not good. But let me ask you this question. What is missing in her conclusion? What is missing in Naomi's conclusion? Her conclusion is that God is not good. What is missing is this. Here's a slide. Current circumstances do not fully encompass the eternal goodness of God. That's a lot of definition there. You can download it. You can write it. We'll leave it up here for just a second. But here's the point. The current doesn't include the eternal. Right? The, the current does not include the eternal. It doesn't include everything. It's not the full picture. If you're going to do any sort of data analysis, you need all the data before you come to a conclusion. If you have a limited data set, you can't conclude and make a universal statement based on that limited amount of data. You only have one experience or one bit of information or whatever, and you draw your conclusions from that. You're going to come to the wrong conclusion. You need to see the big picture, get all the information, take in the whole story. And that is the case in Naomi's situation, and that's the case in ours as well. When we conclude that God is not good based on our circumstances, we are not looking at the big picture. The moment is not enough. Look at Naomi. What she knows, what she knows is there's been a famine. Good or not good? Not good, good, right? At least... From her perspective, and we'll come back to that in just a second. Thank you for interacting. Death, good or not good? Okay. Desperation, good or not good? Not good, okay. Those are her circumstances. You look at that and you say, not good. God is not good. Those are not good. God is not good. But, on the other hand, that's what she knows. But what she doesn't know is the future that is about to play out in her life. For example, she doesn't know that they're going to go back home and be redeemed by Boaz. She doesn't know that her daughter-in-law is going to marry into a wealthy family. She doesn't know that her daughter-in-law, who's been barren for 10 years, will all of a sudden have a son, and that this very son will be in the royal lineage of King David. She has no idea that that's going to happen. She doesn't know that King David will in fact be the one to bring Jesus, the Messiah, to the entire world. She has no knowledge of that. You get these long, long genealogies in the Bible and you read through them and you go blah, 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 whatever. But what you don't realize is that This is showing you that God is faithful over this huge period of time to these individual families. You're an individual family, I'm an individual family, and all we see is our family. We don't see ten generations removed what's going to happen. But through this big picture of the Bible, it's showing you that Ruth, Naomi, they didn't know, but there's something more going on here. Ten generations removed from what they're, I'm just saying ten, count it up, it could be totally wrong, but a long time out from their family, something really big is going to happen. In other words, God is good, and if we conclude that He's not, just based on our temporary circumstances, we don't have enough information to arrive at that conclusion. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't have all the information. And what you see in this book is, in fact, that clearly God is good. Because we read the last pages. They don't know it yet. God is good and God is at work. God is good and God is at work. Now, Naomi, it is true. Let me just speak like I'm pretending to speak to Naomi for a minute. Naomi, if if I were sitting down from Naomi, I'd say, Naomi, you're right. Okay, let's have a little pastoral counseling session. Come on in, Naomi. Sure, let's chat. You're right. Famine is bad, death is bad, desperation is bad. But if we had the big picture, if we had God's eternal view on this, do you know what the famine is? Do you remember, Naomi, that part of the covenant that says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and repent and pray, then I will what? Heal their land. Famine is that part of the covenant that reminds you that not only is God going to be faithful to you, but you need to be faithful to him. And if you're not, he's going to turn off the rain for a little bit to remind you of that. Not so that you can be miserable, but so that you will come back. And when you come back and humble yourself and repent and pray, on goes the rain. No big deal for God to do that. So these circumstances, these famines, these cataclysmic natural disasters, these huge acts of God are really just that. Naomi, it is an act of God. And when it bothers you or it hurts you, yes, you say it's bad. But if you see the big picture, it's actually good. Naomi, it's true. That there is a famine, but look, if you see what God is doing through that famine, He is moving you and your family to just where He wants them to be, which is closer to Him. Naomi, look, here's some more information for you. When you go back home, Naomi, you know what's going to happen? You're going to cross the border and land in your homeland at the time of the harvest. At just the right time. You could have gone back at the planting and there'd be nothing for you. But instead, God brings you back at just the right time. How many stories have you heard where the timing is absolutely perfect? It can't be a coincidence. There's no way that could happen on its own. Such is the case in their return. At just the right time, God brings them back. Now, if that were all, that would be something. But it's not just the right time. It's just the right place. The exact field of a kinsman redeemer, their relative Boaz. And it's just the right person, just the right time, just the right place, just the right person. All of this has got to mean something to you, Naomi. Is this not adding up? Don't you see? God's hand is at work. Now, God hasn't like thundered from the heavens and said, Naomi, listen to me. (laughs) That's what we want, though, isn't it? Like, God, speak to me. Give me the answer. And we're just waiting for this. And yet in this story, what do we see? It's not like that. It's all these little things that just kind of add up. That show that he is much more subtle than most of us assume. There is God working out things for her good in the most subtle and unseen ways. And yet they all add up. And all of a sudden, if, if that's not enough, look, here's a little lawyer jab. I don't know. Maybe the lawyers are in the next service. But... God's hand is seen even in the legal process. As this exchange takes place and all the stuff goes down in the council and blah, 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 blah. There's all these details about how the transaction has to occur and what the property rights will be and the right of redemption and this and that and this and that. And I can imagine in that council of elders, there were a few legal guys sitting around saying, whoa, hang on, hold on. I got a question here, clause 42, section 3, subset 0, you know. (laughs) God is at work even in those little details. He's bringing it all together. God is at work even in the legal process. And most beautifully, God is at work in the life of Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, who through her courage, through her bravery, through her faith, through her commitment, through her loyalty, through her acts of love and faithfulness and service, is actually bringing redemption back to Naomi. God is at work here, Naomi. Don't you see all of this? The timing is no coincidence. The famine is no coincidence. Your daughter-in-law is no coincidence. The legal process is no coincidence. All this is adding up to show you that God is at work. Naomi, church, individual, you, me, God's at work. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that he's at work? I used to think the best way to assure churches church is to say God is in control. And I'm starting to sort of wrestle with that in my mind a little bit. Because I think when I say God is in control, we just go, yeah, mm, no big deal. But what it doesn't acknowledge is the process that we're in right now is not finished. But saying that God is at work recognizes the fact that it's not finished. He is doing something. It's not over. He is in control, yes, but this whole thing is not done. And that's what's happening in Naomi's life. And that's what's happening in ours as well. One author says it beautifully. I I like it very much. Here's a satellite image of the Nile River for you to look at as I read this. And here's what that author says. Beautiful metaphor of life and history in the book of Ruth. He says this, that all of history is like the Nile River. The story of Ruth illustrates this very well. That despite the floods, droughts, twists. Turns The Nile River is steadily moving towards its goal, the Mediterranean Sea. Human history, all of it, and our own individual stories work the same way. Despite the flood of our sin and the drought of our rebellion, God always moves his creation steadily towards its ultimate goal, which is redemption in him. What is the title of this sermon series? What is the title that we've given the book of Ruth? It is redemption. The story of Ruth teaches us that through the difficult twists and turns of events in Naomi's life, God is still in control and he will accomplish his purpose. It'll get there. It'll make it. Through all the seasons, ups and downs, twists and turns, ins and outs, floods, droughts, whatever, it gets to its end game. God, number one, who is good. God is good. God is good. Driven by that goodness. As a result, everything he does is good. And that goodness is showing up in his current work, which is directing things for our good. So the first point I would make to you today is this. Number one, God is good. Number two, God is still at work. Number one, God is good. Number two, God is still at work. It's not over yet. It's not done. Your story is not finished. Ruth's story is, chapter four, close. We see the ending. Our story, what chapter are we in? We don't know. We could be in one, two, three, or four. We may be in multiple chapters at different, in different pieces of our lives, but it's not done. It's at work. It's still happening. God is not done yet. Number one, God is good. Number two, God is still at work. Well, okay, he's still at work. That's great. But, you know, we've all probably known of people who don't complete the job, who don't follow through, contractors who disappear or people who don't show up or people that assure us of big things, but then, you know, something comes up. But God is not like that. Instead, God is faithful. God is faithful. We've said that over and over again in, in this book and I really want to make sure that everyone knows exactly what I'm saying when I'm saying that. So here's a dictionary definition. This is nothing fancy. This is something everyone has access to from Merriam-Webster's. Here's what faithfulness means. Faithfulness means that one is firm and unswerving in their adherent, it, adherence to a person or a promise. God is faithful. He is firm and unswerving in his In his promise to us. He is steadfast in his affection and allegiance. God is faithful. God is faithful. You see this in Ruth. In her faithfulness to her mother-in-law. You see this in Jesus. You see this in scripture. And if we could step back and see all the little details. We would see it in our lives as well. I look forward to that. Don't you? Someday when we look back on this mess. And say oh that's how that adds up. I had no idea at the time. Now it makes sense. But right now we see through glass dimly and we don't know. But then we will. That will be a good day. But here's the thing. Here's just a little bit more on faithfulness. Faithfulness is loyalty or steadfastness. Loyalty implies a firm resistance to any temptation to desert or betray. Steadfastness means that it is a steady and unwavering Course in love, allegiance, or conviction. That's what it means to say God is faithful to you. He is loyal. He is steadfast. He is steady. He is unwavering. He started this thing, but He's not going to quit. He is faithful to complete the good work He began in you. God is faithful. Look how he does it with his people in the Old Testament. He does it with us as well. In the Old Testament, he says, in Judges, remember, the book of Ruth began what? In the days when, good, I heard one person. That's awesome. In the days when the Judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Let's take this from Judges chapter 2, verse 1 then. God says to his people, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. This land that there's a famine in. And I will never, ever, ever, ever break my covenant with you. I will never break my covenant with you. That is how God loves you. Firm, steadfast, loyal, faithful, with Unswerving adherence to your person and his promise. In the New Testament, this is another way of saying it. Paul says to Timothy, his protege, this saying is trustworthy. For if we are faithless, even if we totally blow it, he remains faithful. There's no conditionality in that other promise, right? There's no like, if this, then that, if this, then that. No, God is just saying, I'm going to be faithful no matter what. That's what Ruth said. Ruth said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Nothing's going to come between us no matter what. This is the way it is. It's called faithfulness. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Now, what does that mean? That means if the Holy Spirit of God is inside of you, then God will never rip himself apart. That means that because God is inside of you, he's not going to deny the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, Jesus is never going to reject you because Jesus will never reject the Holy Spirit. When you believe in Jesus for the first time and you repent and you trust in his death, burial, and resurrection for the salvation of your sins, then the Holy Spirit comes inside of your life and God will never take that away because that's who he is. He can't fight with himself. He is perfect. He's good. He's coherent. He's harmonious. And so he doesn't rip himself apart. And therefore, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you are in him. And that's why in the New Testament, you hear over and over again, Paul says, in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. But they're all God. One God, three persons. And that one God never rips itself apart. And because of that, if that spirit is in you, it's not going to rip apart. It won't fall apart. It can't fall apart. It holds together. Firmly. Amen? Yeah. God won't tear himself up. It doesn't work that way. So if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you're in him and you're secure. He won't deny himself. God is faithful. So number one, God is good. Number two, he's still at work. And number three, he's faithful to follow through. He is faithful to follow through. He's not going to stop halfway. He's going to get her done. So then, will everything be okay? Let's go back to our original question and then apply this to our lives. Will everything be okay? Yes, absolutely. For those who believe in Jesus, 100% for sure and for certain, everything is going to be okay. Now, does that mean that everything will be perfect in this life? Of course not. I'll show you Jesus as an example here in just a second. He was perfect. He did everything right. He followed God. God is faithful to him. Doesn't mean everything in his life was perfect. But what it does mean is that everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. Different than everything is perfect now. But everything will be okay. So, here's a summary of the book of Ruth then. We'll go ahead and put that slide up just as a reminder. God is good. God is at work. And God is faithful to follow through. Here's the point. Book of Ruth. The book of, insert your name. Whoever you are, whatever your story, this is true. In our book, in my book, in your life, in my life, in the life of our church, God is good, God is at work, and God will be faithful to follow through. Everything will be okay because of God's goodness and his faithfulness to follow through. The book of Ruth pictures redemption. It is a small story that pictures the big story. Our lives are a small story that should picture the big story. God is faithful to follow through causing everything to work out for good. So what does this mean for me? Well, it means that I should be faithful too. That we should be faithful How then should we live faithfully? Faithfully. Here's some applications or examples. Number one, don't give up on your family. Be faithful. All of our families are different. But the bottom line is we are committed to them and we need to be faithful. Keep our promises. This is especially pertinent to spouses. And take care of the day to day. I know that's not glamorous or exciting or Just It can be mundane, it can be miserable, it can be boring. But if you look at the book of Ruth, where does God show up? When Ruth is out there gathering wheat in the field. It's really not that fancy. Get up, gather wheat, go home. Get up, gather wheat, go home. Get up, gather wheat, go home. Whoop-de-doo. But there is God, and that's where he meets her. In the field where she is faithfully showing up day after day. Where is God going to meet you in the day after day, mundane, boring stuff that you think is no big deal? God is right there. Take care of the day to day. And then wait. Wait on God to provide in unexpected ways. When the moment arrives, then there's an opportunity. It could be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. But when that moment comes, you go for it and you take the God glorifying risk. Only the God glorifying ones. Which usually means it benefits others, not just us. The God-glorifying risk benefits somebody else. Like Ruth benefits Naomi. And then trust him. Trust him for the unknown. Because once you take that risk, you're still at risk. At least in our view. And You have to trust God to be faithful to follow through. So number one, we be faithful. Now who did that perfectly? Jesus, of course. But look at his life. If you think about it for a moment. Jesus' life was not easy. And the older I get, the more and more I appreciate his suffering. The more thankful I am that he suffered. What a strange thing. When I was a little kid, I didn't want to think about Jesus' suffering. That's yucky. I want to have fun. But the more I go through life, the more I'm glad he did. And the more comfort that gives. So what about Jesus? He was faithful to follow through 100%. Yet... He experienced social isolation, poverty, rejection, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Can you imagine the curse words they leveled at him when he was walking down the road and he was a spectacle for everybody in town? They probably, I mean, you know that he was crucified. You know that he was whipped. You know that he was spat upon. But the Bible does not record every bad word that every person watching and mocking said. He had to be so outrageously verbally abused. It was unbelievable. This was brought to light in my life recently. I was wow, I am so glad Jesus got cussed at. (laughs) He knows what it's like to be verbally abused. Wow. It's weird, but it's true. Was his life a walk in the park? By no means. So what did he have to do? Well, he had to trust God to be faithful to follow through. If all he looked at were his circumstances, what would he conclude? God is not good. Jesus would have to say that if he was only looking at his circumstances. Social isolation, rejection, poverty, suffering, verbal abuse, physical abuse, and being killed? That's not good. Okay, we got through it. We're dead and in the grave. It's over. Whew. But wait, he's still dead in the grave. Not just for one day. Two. I mean, if he's sitting there and he's there, Oh, this is not good. When are you coming, Lord? You said your Holy One would never see decay. It's getting pretty close. We're almost on day three. Lord, you really like to push it right up to the last hour, don't you? Where is it? Jesus had to wait even in the grave to be delivered. We're talking about Jesus, not you and me. You don't think we'll have to wait? Perfect spotless Lamb of God's waiting in the grave to get up. After all of that, maybe at that point he could have concluded, God, is just not good. I did my thing. I went through the passion, the suffering, the crucifixion. Now I'm dead. Where are you at, Lord. He's still waiting. you got to wait. We don't have all the information. We don't have the big picture. God is still at work. It's not done yet. But God is good. And Jesus, even in this moment, waiting in the grave, has to be affirming the fact that God is good and God is faithful to follow through. Even at the very end when there seems like there's nothing left. Let's go back to that question, Naomi. Is death a good thing? Most, yea, all, no. But in this case, yes. This is the one spot where we can say death itself is a good thing. Book of Ruth is a picture of redemption. Our lives should be as well. It concludes like this. Listen to the irony in these words. Then the woman said, Ruth four fourteen. Then the women said to Naomi Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer. Blessed be the Lord, church, who has never left us without a Redeemer. Sing above the battle strife. By his death and endless life. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Sing it softly through the gloom. Sing in triumph or the tomb. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. This our song of victory. Jesus saves. Father, we thank you for Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen.